It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Back together. It's been a minute, uh, Kirk. I needed a I needed a respite. We had to. Things went down the way they went down in the Eastern Conference Finals, and your buddy had to go into the darkness. I had to get in the cage. I just, yeah, for me, I just kept picturing that uh, that that picture of Jimmy Butler in the uh, in the bubble. Remember, he's bent over, just said, yep. "I'm tired, boss." It's been a while. It's been a long season, man. I know it's been a long season for you. That Not was... where you wanted it to end. No, uh, no. But All right, listen, and it was. I didn't just take time away from forward progress. I had to step away from all. Oh things. yeah. For everything, uh, I, I couldn't bring myself to talk about an NBA Finals that I hear you. Uh, that my night job that, that the Miami Heat were not a part of. So correct. Uh, call for, it petty. Yeah. Call it what you will. I yeah. need to breathe. And here we yeah, are. Yeah, it was good. No worry. I, I'm, I'm glad that you're back. You know what I mean. Yeah. I, I don't. I'm not a big gloater, but you know, I'm born and raised as a Golden State Warriors fan. So I, I applaud. Um, being now third all time and championships won as a franchise is it was was pretty special. I'm glad that I could share it with myself, uh, and I didn't have to worry about sharing it with you. So we're good now. We could move on past it now. I don't. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> right. That that's unique and special. It's very kind of you. I'm gonna push you to fourth though. Because yeah. I imagine the Celtics, then the Lakers, then the Spurs. Then, then. Oh, well, we got, we got seven. Spurs got, what, five? That's yeah, it. Yeah. Spurs oh, got five. Oh, oh, my God. Are you taking that Philadelphia stuff? Is yeah, man. If this is a Warriors, franchise history. <laughs> oh, my history. I love it. I love it. Well, hey, the have... Lakers do it. <laughs> Come on, man. The Lakers, they claim it's 17. We, we got 17. I'm like, oh, wait, they wasn't all in it. Los Angeles. My bad. What? My bad. I take it. Enjoy, enjoy that that three spot. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I love it. I love it. Uh, congratulations. Thank you, you man. Appreciate you're it. You're used to it at this point. Yeah. Uh, we have some uh, really interesting and advancing uh, NBA news to discuss in just a moment. A little bit later in the program, uh, Black Girls Hockey Club, a, a revelation we had early in the invention of this program. Uh, back with us uh, with a fantastic. Uh, Stanley Cup level partnership. Uh, and a little bit later in the program, we'll update you. We're, we're staying on uh, the Brittany Griner story. Um, Griner story. We will share a challenging aspect of the story. I'm just trying to remain connective as a family um, that was thwarted recently, uh, as well as a cool partnership between uh, LeBron James and one of the great uh, tennis players on the planet. Uh, Naomi Osaka's uh, working with LeBron's production company uh, as a uh, new venture for her. She has been busy with the ventures. We'll roll it all out in a moment. But right off the top, we want to talk about the Phoenix Suns hiring Morgan Cato, who has worked uh, at the highest levels of the NBA for the last few years. We'll get into her resume in just a second. Uh, But uh, our buddy James Jones, the general manager of the Suns, has hired Cato is assistant general manager and vice president of basketball operations, making her one of the league's highest ranking women in the front office. If I'm not mistaken, uh, the first woman, black woman to be yeah. in this, this particular level. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and she's going to have a lot of responsibilities and she'll be assisting Jones and Monty Williams on issues of leadership strategy uh, related to coaching development, player uh, engagement, front office personnel operations. And I, I love, and those sometimes those areas will just kind of flow over the top of people. Right. But I, I think particularly coaching development is something I love because we're always thinking about players. Right. We're always talking about lifting the skill set of young players as they come in, continuing to work and grow uh, mid range to veteran uh, players. But it's great when an organization says, you know what, we have a a tree, right? We have a flow chart. Right. But we want our coaches to grow from the spot they're in, uh, be prepared for their next opportunity, which can be with the organization or maybe somewhere else. But it's a reflection upon your organization, as is this choice uh, by by James Jones and, and the Phoenix Suns, uh, who, as we've noted on this program many times, this organization, uh, due to some <laughs> uh, ownership dynamics, uh, haven't had the best culture uh, internally, particularly on the business side. Correct. Um, and so it, it's good to see uh, a, a, a shift in mentality, an elevation of things that's far more inclusive than some of the stories we've heard coming out of Phoenix. Yeah, I think that's the big word you, you said right there was inclusive and, and basically embodying everybody who's a part of that organization that you have a, a hand in our success. Um, it's all about the checks and balances as well. Being able to have someone tell you when you're wrong or give input or insight on something that maybe you kind of didn't, didn't see or missed out on. So when you have these opportunities to hire people like Ms. Cato and, and what she will bring to an assistant general manager role, a vice president of operations of basketball, it's being able to have someone who has your back in a situation where, hey, I may not, I may be one-sided on this and I need another set of eyes. I need another you know, pair of ears just so that I know I'm doing the best job that I can. I think we're only as good as the people who are behind us. Right. And if you share within that, I think that effort, that the group effort, I think that's what changes organizations. We already see you mentioned with James Jones who's the general manager. But then you think about, you know, the head coach of Monty Williams, how this organization now is being structured. And look, obviously, there's you know, there's no hiding that these are all people of color, you know, black people who are in definitely high positions in the National Basketball Association. But the one thing I can we, we can both say is that these are all qualified people who have earned the right to be in these situations and have shown you that, yeah, we can get the job done as well. I think that in what, maybe 15, 20 years ago, Jax, this will be unheard of. It's just say what? Well, you can't do that. But now it's becoming a norm because you're getting qualified people who, regardless of their race or ethnicity, just so happens here. These are uh, African-American black people who are in a role or in roles now that show you that they can handle the pressures or the rigors of an NBA season a year, what comes off the court and on the court, they've been able to handle that. And there's no doubt the reason why this uh, organization's Phoenix is a lot different. Now, when you say the Phoenix suns, than maybe about what, five, six years ago. Yeah. Kato, let's nail that down. Is the first woman of color to hold the title of assistant GM uh, in the association. Now she spent the past decade uh, working for the NBA in New York. And we've had her old boss on the program, president of uh, league operations, Byron Spirell. Uh, she was uh, instrumental in strategic initiatives that targeted the growth of the game through 
uh, the NBA and around the world, including uh, officiating development, the launch of Basketball Africa League, and uh, the sports global talent pipeline. We're talking about some of the most important initiatives for the NBA is its growth around the world, obviously. Um, there's a lucrative business aspect to that. Let's not be <laughs> right, silly. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> but the NBA really takes seriously, and it's always felt altruistic in its balance of the right thing for global you know, domination as it's trying to be you know, right alongside soccer as uh, one of the world games, uh, but to be a steward of the game, right. to make sure that the game was growing uh, at every corner of the world uh, with a real explosion of it in 1992 with the dream team going to the Olympics. And you, you, you can see we're moving into that second generation of great international player uh, due to that. And so really, it, I think you, what you've done as an organization, particularly for the Phoenix Suns, is you're taking a wider view uh, of where we can get our talent from an organization standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, and of course, from a player standpoint, uh, by someone who's automatically thinking that way. Yeah, who's automatically been in that field and been able to see um, it's not just uh, a, a a certain way of doing things. You could do mm-hmm. things differently. You can also have a now a wide range of how we do things as a as a organization now because you've seen it on the bigger scale, right? We always look at a lot of times, you know, you work with bigger networks, right? I know I started, you know, you get to the, you're at the big network. And then when you get to more of a, of a network that's more regional, you, you've, you've been able to, to handle the big right. resources. Now, when you have, not want to say less resource, but when you're only kind of geared to a certain audience, you know how to be strong in that. And I think that's what it is now is like, Hey, I've, I've been in this department before, but I'm going to bring all the experiences that I had there, bring it here and show you that, hey, we can do things a lot different. We don't always have to be so one minded in the way that we do things. We can, you know, change our scouting up. We can change our scouting. We can move our, uh, you know, our workouts, uh, the way our scouts are, what, what places they are. It's just so many different things that you, when you wrap your mind around because you've had that experience. Uh, this is something that, like I said, people who earn these opportunities are makes organizations that much better because they're bringing the experience that maybe once was not there. It's a unique point you make. Uh, and, and it made me think about both of our connections in the Correct. sense of uh, having experience uh, in broadcasting network level, working mm-hmm. for teams as well. Yeah. Um, you've worked, you, you played for a team and worked for a team and uh, <laughs> right. worked on the network level. It, it's uniquely different but the things that you learn in each place oftentimes serve the other right Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i mean you know i've worked at those big three-letter networks Mm four-letter networks you you get there and you're like whoa okay and you got to cover this and this and this and this but then in reality you think about well why are we focusing really on this because it may be a local story but it also has national ramifications or i think that there's more to this and why aren't we following this a little bit more? Because the right. way that they're doing business, the way that they're scouting, the way that they're is like they continue, right? We look at organizations throughout sports and we're always saying, you know, why do certain teams do so much more with, with so much less? Right? right. You know, I'm not trying to take a shot at the Yankees, but I mean, the New York Yankees, <laughs> they're the Yankees, you know, they got unlimited resources, but yet 
sometimes we look at some of the small market teams in baseball. I mean, yet they're able to bring out the competitive. I mean, the Tampa Bay Rays have not always been, they're not a big media market, but yet they bring out a competitive baseball team every single year. We see it in the NBA, some small market teams. Well, what are they doing that's different than the New York Knicks that haven't won a playoff series and God knows where, right? Because I look at the Memphis Grizzlies and they're not a big media market. They're not, they don't have, I won't say they have like a ton of resources or a lot of people are ascending on uh, Memphis in terms of, okay, this is a destination place where New York is always the talk, but yet they seem to find a way to stay, you know, middle line and, and have, you know, brought that organization up even more to where now it's, you know, you're talking Memphis basketball. And I only bring that up is because I think now that when you look at some of these roles that are now being filled, like you mentioned with Ms. Cato, it's, it's, it's a, it's a big difference now that there's different ways of doing things and now I think Phoenix is taking that leap. And obviously the way that their organization is taking off over the last couple of years, they're at the top of the NBA for a reason. Yeah. League best 64 and 18. Yeah. Uh, this past season before losing to the Mavericks in the conference semifinals, but I- I'm with James Jones. I-, I think that this is a hire uh, in bringing in Morgan Cato that just elevates uh, their basketball in several areas, as we talked about having a global view, right. it's always great to have friends in the legal office, right? Always. <laughs> and and <laughs> that's the thing. Like, yeah. you, you can either be a fish in that massive pond, right? That has this, you know, not only just sea to signing sea um, national reach with the, the teams at the highest level, but the WNBA, the G League, the 2K League, and then this these global uh, initiatives around the world. Uh, but it, it's just great to have somebody that is looking at it from uh, a league perspective back into the organization. So you're processing things uh, in a different way um, and and having a different type of Rolodex too. <laughs> it's always good, like you mentioned, to have people, uh, friends in high places too, and also be able to bounce ideas off of. It's not just, uh, you know, it's one of those things too where you have the, the more ideas that you have, and, and not be afraid to 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 ask them or to come together as a group um, because it's only going to make for a better organization. And I think that's something that James Jones has done. And look, you've been able to bring together a nice group of guys to, you know, essentially this team was, was, was favored to be uh, in the conference finals. They didn't make it there, but it's now part of the process of what do they do now toward the future. And their future seems to look really bright because they're continuing to also hire good people in the front office. Congratulations to Morgan Cato and the Phoenix Suns. We'll take a break, come back and uh, have a cool conversation about how the Colorado Avalanche, while they're battling the lightning, trying to grab (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. the Stanley cup trophy uh, are also doing some great things uh, in the community uh, to be much more inclusive and to grow the game. More on that as Forward Progress continues. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. One of the great initiatives and organizations that we were able to introduce to you when we first started uh, this fantastic program was Black Girl Hockey, Hockey Club uh, and one of their key organizers, uh, Tanisha Singleton, back with us here on the program. Uh, Tanisha, first of all, it's great to have you back. This is what I love about this program now, Kirk. We're almost looping back around with all of our friends to help us uh, start these fantastic conversations. And Black Girl Hockey Club was awesome for us, Tanisha, because it was an introduction into a grassroots effort 
uh, for black folks, indigenous folks, people of color uh, to have a more inclusive and, and welcoming entry yeah. into hockey. For folks that missed your, your first guest spot with us, tell us a little bit more about the organization. Uh, no doubt. Thank you for having me back again. I love this full circle stuff. And it really is just about introducing these conversations, having these talking points in places where they originally, you know, probably would not have been to have these types of prompts for for discussion. So Black Girl Hockey Club, it started as a tweet of a couple of years ago from our founder and executive director, Renee Hess. You know, she's a diehard hockey fan. And back in like 2018, 2019, was in Dallas, I believe, and was like, any black folks want to get together and watch the Stars game? Anybody want to watch hockey together? <laughs> yeah. And because she's actually born and raised in Riverside, California, which is where I grew up as well. And not a lot of folks like us, you know, like we said, like watch hockey, play hockey, that representation was a bit lacking. And so what she discovered, though, was that after putting that tweet out, so many other black girls were like, I'm in Philly. I would love to have some black folks watching the game with me. Oh, come to Tampa, come to New York, come to Chicago, blah, blah, blah. And was like, damn, well, there's something, there's a gap here. And so what that really sparked was after having some other conversations, boom, fast forward, we're a nonprofit organization that intends to do exactly what you said. We are creating a welcoming space and a community for black girls, our families, and the folks that love us, our allies as well, so that we can try to correct and combat some of those ills of discrimination or, and just personally not feeling like you're, like you can watch this, like this is for you. And like how shameful and disheartening is that, right? To feel like some, a sport, you aren't allowed, you aren't welcome. Cause so too many of us have experienced like direct specific lines of like, oh, that, that I must not be, you know, this isn't for me. And that sucks. That really sucks. And so what we've been doing is creating a slew of different programs and just initiatives and a full on community. That's what it's about so that we can have folks feel like they're a part of the game, feel like they can be a fan, feel like they can not only be a fan, but be represented elsewhere as well, because there's a lot of different touch points that we've created. And I first found about Black Girl Hockey Club in like the fall of 2019. I went to a meetup in L.A. actually when the Golden Knights were in town and I had just finished my Ph.D. in media psychology and I studied sports fandom and new media development. And then I saw the most diverse group of folks in my life, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, handicapped veteran. It was just children. It was so intergenerational and just multidisciplinary. And to the point where I was like, I don't see this outside at a park, let alone at damn Staples Center for a hockey game. Right. Yeah. I'll still call it Staples, not crypto. I got it. <laughs> I <got you>. <laughs> <laughs> but after that, I was like, I'm all in. And now I'm president on their board of directors and really helping create other initiatives and programs within Black Girl Hockey Club. So again, that there are these multiple touch points to hit people and in a positive way to create new experiences and invite new introductions into the game. Well, look, you've brought so much awareness to the black girl hockey club, but I would say this, um, you know, when I look at it through social media or different uh, places uh, and women come together, it's either to watch the bachelor or the real housewives. And <laughs> there's different shows that many women tend to gravitate to and they talk about, but when it comes to the Black Girl Hockey Club, and you talked about these meetups, and you talked about being able to have this community, 
take me behind the curtain a little bit. What, what happens at the meetup? So what are you guys talking about? Is it about the line change, the shifts, that goal, like the strategy? I would love to know what that conversation is like. Yeah, you know, there's so many levels to it. And, you know, don't loot me in that batch of stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know nothing about a rose. Like, don't, I don't know who's dating who. Like, I'm, I'm watching, you know, games and most yeah, sports okay. and like horror things and binge watching, whatever. But, you know, our meetups, it was, we unfortunately hit such a wall with COVID, right? Correct. So yeah. for over a year and a half, like two years, we weren't outside. We, 2020 that whole season we didn't have any meetups so we took that though recognize that as kind of an opportunity now right because now we can really reach even more people by focusing online and enhancing our digital presence so we had watch parties online where we were watching games you know and we started having these more digital events and where you know other independent hockey organizations or brands affiliated with hockey we would start to talk about things not just, you know, stats and figures, but all right, when we are a, when it's health and safety is, you know, optimized again, how do we reach more people? How do we talk about getting uncomfortable, which I know we'll get to in those types of things, but this past season has been the first one back outside, back at games. And it has been fantastic. And there's so many levels of fandom where, yeah, you do have those that are like, Oh, did you see that? Oh, he got that, (laughs) you know, and we're, we're looking at that. And then there are those that, are just love the fast paced nature of it because hockey live is actually really, really fun. It's like one of the greatest sports to watch live. Like that is kind of undisputed. So we went really all over the place. We went to Toronto, we went to Seattle, LA. Um, We were had a presence here in Las Vegas at the all-star game in February. Um, We actually just finished a Juneteenth event where we actually went to a mystics game in Washington and were and collaborated with them um, and the Tucker road ducks there. So we, for a little cross expansion now. So even getting the WNBA audience aware of what black girl hockey club is all about. So, and it was great because when I went to Seattle, I had an old friend there that I hadn't seen forever. And I was like, Hey, we're here black girl hockey club. And he was like, excuse me. And he was like, you know, I have a little black girl. Right. And I was like, they come through. So it was amazing to see you know so now the new new generation right like five six-year-old little black girls be like wow with their eyes big and seeing folks that look like them and like see here and just introducing them to the game walking them around a new stadium just the whole overall sport experience because that is so much more than stats and figures it's about how the game makes you feel it's about the new friends that you make and the connections and 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 just being able to have a dope time together he is the good doctor, Tanisha Singleton, yeah. with us here <laughs> on Forward Progress. Jason Jackson, Kurt Morrison, uh, you 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 planted the seed. I want to get to it. I promise we will uh, get uncomfortable. Uh, collaboration for Black Girl Hockey Club, uh, along with the Colorado Avalanche, a pledge to disrupt racism and make hockey more inclusive. Before we get to the program specifically, uh, I, I have this vision of you all having this ridiculous WhatsApp thread. Uh, <laughs> as everyone is locked in to the Stanley Cup final with the Avalanche and, yeah. and the Lightning going at it. No doubt. 
No doubt we are. We are definitely all over Slack and our notifications blowing up for sure. <laughs> where we are talking about just please not Tampa. Please, please, yes. please. <laughs> they're, like, they're, like the, they're like the empire now, right? They're the dark I'm saying, We're just like, damn it. <laughs> so and it's great because, you know, I uh, I have family in Denver, been to Abs games. I love Ball Arena. And so definitely am happy to see this. And we're just like, come on, two more. Close this out. Let's go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, our Slack is is lit as the kids say as we're doing these launch parties. So to that end, let take us into this collaboration, how it came to pass, why the Avalanche uh, were the organization that you ended up connecting with uh, and, and pushing forward this initiative and how impactful it's been so far. Yeah, you know, the ABS are one of many teams, actually, that have taken the pledge and that have worked with us and have wanted to continue these conversations because GUC, Get Uncomfortable, this started in that kind of fall of 2020 when, again, we were all very in the heat of the pandemic. This is also coming off of Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, BLM, and we, as people, like, take fan hat off, right? As just Black folks, we were sore. We were weak. We were, you know, just what do we do in a very, you know, complimentary place where we're just like, this is, we have to do something, right? If we're talking about communities and sports and politics is so intersected that we have to be able to, to do something. And so what we did was we created this campaign um, and again, to disrupt racism on and off the ice and like, how can we use our platform and how can we use our voice to do that? So we've created this pledge that people can take. And we, after that, provide a number of resources and other steps that people can take to do that. Because again, this isn't, when we're talking about being anti-racist and trying to combat systemic injustices in this country specifically, we're talking to white folks too, right? This is about, this is not a problem that you expect the victims of to now solve for you too, right? You can't be victims <laughs> of and solve this. Like, are you point. kidding me? Because when people are talking about anti-racist, I'm sure you've all experienced this too, where it's like, well, what can I do? Well, what can I watch? It's like, why am I doing this homework for you? So this is a direct pledge for our allies and for others to be able to take and say, look, this, you have to help us here. You have to do this. You have to check yourselves, talk to you amongst yourselves, right? Because we can't be, we can't put all of the burden on black women and black people, period, you know, to be able to, to, to try and correct all of these types of things. So ABS is one of the many teams that, and organizations really that have taken our pledge. We've had over 7,000 folks take this and we're actually coming into our two year anniversary this coming fall. Um, and we're, we have an advocacy and, and a policy committee within that, which is going to, you know, release a lot, a lot of powerful information and guidance and resources and things that we're going to be trying to implement that I can't release now, but it's coming when this, this, this fall, when we, uh, announce our second anniversary. But again, to disrupt racism and discrimination and doing this on and off the ice, which is great. And so the Avs, again, yes, were one of the later teams to come on and take our pledge. And they hosted an event with us. So it was called An Evening with Black Girl Hockey Club, Discussions on Getting Uncomfortable. And we had the amazing a uh, multimedia journalist and friend of Black Girl Hockey Club and an ally and volunteer with us, Erica Ayala. She was uh, one of the moderators and we had a great panel on site there 
um, in Denver, and we had conversations. We talked to folks specifically about what makes what is getting uncomfortable mean to you, right? Because talking about race, we know how it makes some people like, oh, like why is everything about race with you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> why is this? Why do I have to talk about this? What bias? I'm not biased. So talking about these things gets people a little you know, on edge, which is why we called it what we did. So in this panel that we had towards the end of March, um, it was right before one of their games, we had this panel, it was open to the public, we invited a lot of folks there. And we asked people specifically within not only the abs organization, um, but those as well that came on as panelists, what are you doing? How do you get uncomfortable in the workplace? How do we start to correct some of these things? And what can we do as best practices now, right? making paid internships, having inclusive job descriptions, right? Doing blind applications, right? I've even experienced this when I was, I remember I took my education and changed my name off. And all of a sudden I started getting like job interviews back in the day. And I was just like, Mm -hmm. what the hell, right? (laughs) Because sometimes they see PhD and then they get too intimidated or they see Tunisia and they're just like, "Mm." so (laughs) we know that there's a lot of different things that folks can do, but it starts internally. It really, really starts internally. And so those are, uh, so it was a beautiful experience to be able to partner with the Avs. We're extremely happy that that they came on board and took the pledge. Uh, we know a lot of their volunteers are, are fans and, and volunteers and advocates of BGHC. So it's, again, one of those things that we're continuing to, to push because this isn't, there's no expiration date on social justice. And I think also one of the bigger things is trying to get more accessibility, make it more accessible for black children, that next generation, right? Tanisha is like, look, I, I look, I have my brother and, and my, my nephew, they all went out to these uh, AAU tournaments where you set up one, you know, three or four courts um, in a stadium and it's basketball all day. I know when it comes to hockey, it's a little bit different. Obviously the equipment is more expensive. There's less club teams. So how do you get to that next generation of not just black girl hockey fan, but more so just, African-American Black fans to be more inclusive when it comes to hockey? Great question. And it's so true because this is hockey is the most expensive sport to play. Yeah. You throw an inch, you need a whole new set. Right. And so and yeah, there's no ice rinks, you know, at 24 hour right. fitness, you know, or something like that. <laughs> so people, you know, the transition from, you know, street to ice, you know, we know that that is a challenge and, and requires a lot of resources. Right. So one of the bigger uh, one of the bigger um activities and services that we have is our scholarship program. And three times a year, we give out uh, scholarships to young Black girls from nine to 18 to offset these costs, to offset tournament costs, helping the parents out as well, because we know this is a lot. And so we give out these scholarships three times a year. Um, Our summer cycle just ended, so we're we're getting ready for the fall and winter. So um, people can apply and nominate themselves. A coach can nominate a young black girl or a parent can nominate a, a girl to win a scholarship. And we've given out over hundreds of thousands of dollars in this and we're hundred percent donor funded. So I think we just finished giving out scholarships to, you know, maybe I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but like seven or eight different girls from all over the world, um, you know, up to $5,000 and each girl can get one, three or $5,000 for different equipment and tournament costs, because we know that is a lot. I've gotten up at 2 a.m. and have congratulated girls in Kenya because they out there and playing ice hockey in Kenya too, <laughs> folks. I'm telling you, like wow. we can do everything and are all over this place. 
And so our scholarship program is definitely one of the things that we're doing to try and combat that. In addition to last fall, yeah, last fall, I launched their leadership and development program. And so this is to create mentorships now for folks to be able to get in hockey off the ice now. So whether you want to be a referee or a physical trainer or a scout or do marketing, color commentary, journalism, or be writer, any of those touch points, you should be able to have entry into that too. And so we have six month long mentorships where we pair you with uh, one of our rosters. We have a whole mentor a roster of mentors that folks have come up and we are continually accepting applications for that our actual um our second term of the year applications are going to be due actually this sunday the 26th but we might extend it but definitely get the applications in before the end of the week if you want to be a mentor or a mentee or a mentor um and this is great too because oftentimes you know folks are always very youth oriented, like, oh, here's the best 30 professionals under 30 and all this stuff. It's like, can the middle-aged folks get some too? So we have actually mentors and we have mentees actually that are in their 30s and 40s as well that are transitioning. And you know why? Because they've honestly told me, I've always wanted to do this, but didn't think I could. So they're using this as a professional pivot to transition into working into hockey because they never felt they could. So anyone of any age can be in our mentorship program as well. Um, yeah, 18 and up, you don't have to be in school. You can just, if you've ever had a dream of being anything related to hockey from, you know, again, merchandise, broadcasting, writing, referee, we have mentors from all over, not only from teams and executives within the NHL, but also Bauer and some other, um, other peripheral, like external stakeholders and organizations that have to do with hockey. So between our two programs there, I think scholarships and our leadership and development program, we're definitely being that vessel of social listening to try and offer things to our community so that they can get in hockey in any way, shape or form they want. And for folks that are interested in dropping some coin on you or uh, need to uh, get some more information, what's the best way for them to do it? BlackRollHockeyClub.org, and you can always follow us on Twitter um, at BlackRollHockey. And right now, it's you know our off season; it's the summer, so we are upgrading everything right now. Um, our donations, our merch, our website—we're going to get a whole new look coming uh, this fall. We're doing our upgrades right now, so but definitely get in touch with us. Subscribe to our newsletter. Go to BlackRollHockeyClub.org to do so and stay in touch. Tanisha Singleton with us here on Forward Progress. Uh, the focus for the organization. Uh, it is in the title, but you all have a black indigenous people of color focus. And so I imagine when the Hart Trophy was awarded uh, historically to Austin Matthews, first uh, player of Mexican descent to win the award, that, that had to have some resonation throughout the organization. No doubt. It's when you see it, you can believe it. Right. Because you have this intent or this you know, idea behind you that, you know, you can do everything. But definitely so much love, so much love going there because it's the fact that representation matters. It's it's almost too oversaid right now and become cliche, but it is still very much the truth. Well, listen, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for the time Thank uh, you. that you, you did sneak in a new program that you almost gave us the goods on. So as soon as it's uh, public, you let us know. <laughs> You we'll bet. have you come back through and let us know what no you're doubt. doing uh, to really, uh, we could call it impact, but you're changing lives. And, yeah. and we so appreciate it. So what, what, we, what are we saying here? Is it is it abs and six, abs and, and five? I mean, gentleman uh, sweep. the gentleman yeah. sweep. All right. Yeah. She's saying yeah. abs yeah. and five. Okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's on tape now, Tanisha. So I it, know. Now, <laughs> now they better do it. It's like, you can't make me look bad. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Appreciate you. Thank you so much Thanks. for swinging by. Appreciate it. Anytime. As Forward Progress continues, a couple stories we need to, one, revisit and also present uh, the latest on uh, the challenges of the detainment of Brittany Griner, as well as a new venture between two, not just sports moguls, but now media moguls. That when we return here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. I want to update the Brittany Griner saga as she continues her detainment, uh, which has been extended recently, Kirk, to July 2nd. I think that's the second extension of her detainment throughout this run. But uh, I really, like, this is hard enough, right? Yeah. Um, But a gut punch uh, last week when we got word that a phone call uh, between the WNBA star and her wife was being rescheduled. Now, the couple had their anniversary set. Uh, Russian officials had agreed to allow uh, Brittany and her wife, Sherelle, to uh, come in contact and then come to find out. I don't know if you saw the depths of the story, but the, the State Department actually screwed up the connection. Yeah. And, and it's just staggering. Like, you you go deeper and deeper in... in uh, the story, you find out that for the first time since Griner's arrest in mid-February, she's going to be able to talk to a family member, right? And it, it was a mistake about how, through these diplomatic channels, how these calls get patched, uh, that that Griner had a number that wasn't manned because it was a Saturday. Right. And that the intent by the State Department in connection with their colleagues in Russia to, to connect uh, Sherelle and, and Brittany um, needed to go through a different line that was patched 24 hours. And it actually was in this case, which it almost it, I, like the only feeling I have is embarrassment. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of, I don't want to call them excuses. There are dynamics that are happening, obviously with Russia and, and their invasion of Ukraine that makes stuff almost impossible. Um, with the stance that obviously America's taking uh, against such a thing, um, that things are not in their standard operating procedure in the American embassy in Russia, uh, which would have uh, patched the conversation through. But uh, uh, apparently it's been rescheduled. We don't know when, uh, but, and you'd imagine, and I I don't have any idea, but the only imagination I could have is that there was nothing more important for Brittany than to talk to her wife after all this time. Yeah, just to have that conversation and just talk. Um, a lot of the information, we don't we don't even know how she's doing. And maybe to have, you know, maybe her wife be able to share, just, hey, she's doing fine, she's doing good, she's been able to hold her own, she's been, you know, been doing a lot of reading, self-reflecting. We The one thing we always get with, with a Brittany Griner update is just when she will be able to, um, her next meeting in front of the, the courts or the government, whatever it may be. But we never know, like, how is she doing mentally? How is she doing physically? What's the toll that is taken on her? Uh, I can't even imagine. She's been there for so long. You you forget, like, it's been over, what, three months? Was it, I forget the actual days. It's been a very, 
we first heard the story, like, oh, she'll be there yeah. for a couple of days, maybe four months now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's been there for four months now. Like it's, it's, it's just mind blowing because I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of what this may do for her long term. You know what I mean? Oh, this is what, traumatic, right? Yeah. Like this, this is, is, she's one of the greats. Yeah. Like, let's not get into it. The two time Olympic gold medalist, seven time all star. Uh, but I mean, we're talking about her bag getting searched. Right. Some vape cartridges with some cannabis oil. <laughs> Stuff that was entirely, uh, as we understand it, and we've covered this story a lot on the show. Yes. That was kind of the wink week. Okay. All right. You good. You know, you're here to work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do your thing. And then obviously with America's stance against Russia and its invasion uh, to Ukraine, this is a type of thing, not just Brittany, by the way, other Americans detained in, in such frivolous ways uh, that, that calls for the state department in May to designate her as wrongfully detained. And that probably took too long. Um, I, I just know full well, particularly listening to, uh, Commissioner Silver talk about it that you do have to kind of follow the lead of the diplomacy, right. which sometimes feels like molasses. But to have this all set up for the grinders to have their first connection and it be botched is a complete mess. Yeah, I mean, I mean like had, the least you could do, right? Yeah, get get, get it right. I mean. You know, I saw the couple of, uh, you know, PSAs by NBA players throughout the NBA finals talking about, um, you know, what the what they can do for Brittany and trying right. to bring the attention on. So this is now a, a much needed attention in terms of a national story, a, a global story now. And now you're hearing Vladimir Putin making his comments and remarks, and we're just waiting for a resolution. You know, we want to bring Brittany home. And it's like... Amen. What can we do? You know, we're, I'm trying to figure out what can we do? And it's, and it's scary is that you put faith in our government, that our government can go and talk with their government and get things in order. But that just has not been the case. And it kind of scares you a little bit that, you know, what if this could have been me? What if this been me? I mean, I'm not Brittany Griner. I have the name of Brittany Griner. But what if a situ- situation like this happens for me? How, how would I be treated? How would I be handled? Be, 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 be very afraid. Yeah. Be very afraid. Hey, before we get out of here, another story I want to make sure uh, we lay down for the people. Uh, Naomi Osaka not participating in Wimbledon, but building that portfolio. Yes, all right? she is. Oh, yeah. She, her camp recently opened uh, a representation agency. Um, so she's in she's in the 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 the, the agent game. Mm-hmm. Um, and remember the name Hanakuma, which translates to flower bear in Japanese. Uh, this is a new media company. Uh, announced this week uh, and aligned with LeBron James's uh, Spring Hill company, going to produce documentaries as well as scripted and unscripted series. The first project, Kurt, uh, according to The Hollywood Reporter, is a documentary about former Hawaiian Congresswoman Patsy Mink, who was the first woman of color elected to Congress and the sponsor of Title IX. There it is. We're, we're celebrating the 50th yeah. anniversary of Title are. IX. Uh, this very year. So uh, Ahsoka's body has not held up recently. As a matter of fact, I think she's out of Wimbledon due to an Achilles injury and, and hasn't played since the French Open. So her ranking has dropped precipitously. Uh, but uh, Forbes recently named her the highest paid female athlete in history. 
that I've her portfolio that. Oh, yeah. uh, just a couple <laughs> years ago was and remains massive. Uh, but now getting into uh, th- those things, even though she's super young, that game can beat you up. I'm getting ready for all the things she wants to impact uh, when she puts the racket down. Yeah, I think she realizes uh, the influence that she does have. Um, you know, when she brought uh, attention to her mental well-being uh, about not just playing tennis, but also having to answer questions and maybe just not feeling it. Um, she brought a lot of attention to that. And I think she also brought the influence that she does have because people say, hey, I kind of feel like Naomi. Oh, I feel like Naomi. And now you have this education that she already has and a platform that she already has been on to where now people are starting to realize like she's she's the next generation, right? She's that next generation of not just uh, tennis player, Jax. I think she's just that next generation of, of voice that when she talks, people listen, um, especially young women. Like they listen. Like we can talk about when LeBron speaks and, oh, it was LeBron. But it's different when Serena, Naomi, when they speak, people listen and they have influence, they have power. And Naomi's just using that power that she has and now being able to get the stories that she wants to get across. Not what's being forced upon, but what she says. No, I think this story needs to be told or we should go in this direction. She has the power to do that now. LeBron James uh, co-founded Spring Hill, uh, that media company, a couple of years ago with... uh, his partner in all things, Maverick Carter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And LeBron just enjoys her grace, her power, and believes, uh, quote, uh, this will help empower her to do even more great things, um, which is awesome. Um, now, the thing that did sneak in my head, I was like, <laughs> she's also going to have to continue to be a really good tennis player. Correct. That's, right? part That's of the what gig. Yeah. keeps all the boats uh, afloat. And it, it's not easy. Right. Because that's that game, and, and it's a, how it's the thing that we don't do enough with the Williams sisters, right? Over forty, yeah, you know, still crushing it, uh, and at least trying to. Uh, but uh, that Naomi is very mindful of her health, both mind and body, mm-hmm. and will not let the game take that from her. Right, and I think she's also setting herself up to where. She may not have to play as long as Venus <laughs> and Serena too. You know what I mean? Not taking right. anything away from them, but right. uh, at, at a point, it's like, you know what? I, I've done enough. I will never catch the likes of Venus and Serena. Um, I've made my mark on the game, and now I want to make my mark in another aspect of my life. Well, my man, listen, it's great that we got another episode together in this yes, summer sojourn. <laughs> uh, I, I will be all over the place all summer. Headed oh, to the good, Keys brother. to celebrate the Big Five O. Uh, headed to Vegas, uh, summer to, league. Uh, deal yeah. with summer league. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go into the into the wilderness in Michigan, but I'm taking everything with me. There I'm taking is. everything with you. You won't, oh, you good, won't man. miss me again this summer. Appreciate it, man. Glad to have you back, brother. All good. It's always a pleasure. We want to uh, say a special thanks uh, to Tanisha Singleton for joining us today uh, from. Uh, Black Girl Hockey Club. Always enjoy hearing what they're doing in the great partnership with the Avalanche. Uh, if you missed any of that conversation, just enjoy the show yet again on the SXM <laughs> on app. Yeah, yeah, come on, baby. Yeah, there it you is. You know we're going to sneak it in there. Uh, that's going to do it for us, for our illustrious producer, Brunel Brown, who uncovers all these great stories and gets all our great guests. Uh, for Kirk Morrison and yours truly, Jason Jackson. We'll check you out next time on Forward Progress.